Welcome to Moments with Marianne. This is your host, Marianne Pastana. And we're here today with special guest, David Parker, who's here to share with us his two new books, Income and Wealth, and A San Francisco Conservative. So David Parker began his career in education at the age of 24 and served students of San Francisco's inner city public elementary schools for 40 years as a music teacher, followed by 10 years as a volunteer. While pursuing his career in education, he also became a very successful real estate investor and musician. David spent 20 years as a member of the Berkeley Symphony Orchestra and 15 years as the leader of the David Parker Sextet, which was headlined in San Francisco's Fillmore Jazz Festival. So let's welcome to the show, David Parker. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, what an honor it is to have you here and to talk about these two books. And and I've got to ask you, okay, let's start with a San Francisco conservative. What inspired you to write that? Well, it's a great name, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm branding myself. Obviously, there's a little tongue-in-cheek there. I'm, not, I'm from San Francisco, born and raised here. I can't be that conservative. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm what's called a classical liberal. That means I know about economics and I know about business. So I know you just can't spend money and borrow money and try to solve problems. So the founding fathers, in my opinion, got it right. They really gave a lot of thought to what happened in 5th century Athens, 1st century Greece, 18th century Age of Enlightenment. That was their period. They pulled the best minds and they produced a one-page document, our Constitution. In Europe, it's the Maastricht Agreement, 254 pages. Nobody reads it. Nobody understands it. But we understand our Constitution. It's just one page, like the Ten Commandments, one page. And, uh, and I'm just warning the world that, that, that be careful about spending so much money trying to solve economic and social problems. They're all personal, and the government can't solve your problems. That's the only way. That's the only area in which I'm really conservative. Otherwise, socially and politically, I'm very liberal. Well, I just was so impressed with your book and to have a book like that that's really available for all people. But I think a lot of people are truly concerned about overspending and where this money is coming from because we can't really, I mean, we could go out on trees, but eventually someone's got to pay. Well, I have one thing to say on that. The rich and the poor in this country are like brothers. We love each other because neither one are paying taxes. The middle class are, are, is paying for everything. You cannot tax the rich. They all read Robin Hood when they were children. They know you're coming, and their accountants know you're coming. Even if the rich want to be liberal and pay and pay, the account, their accountants won't let it happen. It's set up so they always show no income. They just keep borrowing against their assets. And if they think the government's coming after them, they put the money offshore. you can't tax the rich. So the nation should stop thinking in those terms and realize they're paying for it. And if you get a few bucks from the rich, they're going to pass it on in terms of raising the price of their products, whatever they're selling. You can't. So stop doing that. And then if the debt gets too high, 
My third book is coming out in about two weeks. It's called Rome 476. That's when Western civilization crashed. The Roman military was the strongest in the world. The Huns came in with their with sledgehammers, not with swords. And the Roman soldiers didn't lift a finger. And Rome was reduced to dust. Famous moment in, in world history. And why did the Roman military not lift a finger? They hadn't been paid. And they hadn't been paid because all tax revenue, and there was a lot of tax revenue, went to pay interest on the debt. Nothing was left for any service. That's how close we are in the U.S. No money pretty soon for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Affordable Care Act, military, nothing. If interest rates are high like they are right now, our whole tax revenue is going to pay the interest on the debt pretty soon. There it is. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't really, they get like you were saying, very emotional. So we don't break it down to the numbers, but there are some things that we cannot, we, we can, we cannot ignore. I mean, we, we need to take care of our service members and make sure that they have the health care and get paid and they're able to take care of their families, which so often I think we probably don't pay them enough. But that's just one element is the military, but I said social security and Medicare, that's part of, of the national budget. Those are those three take up most of the budget. Military, Social Security, Medicare. If you want numbers, think of it this way. After the 2008 financial crisis, interest rates dropped to close to zero. Banks weren't paying any, any interest. And if we had debt, no big deal because there was interest. There was no interest. You could just keep adding the debt and adding the debt <clears throat> to, to the debt. But if interest rates shot up at the end of 2022, if interest goes up to 8% and our debt, let's say, is $30 trillion, 8% of 30 is $2.4 trillion. But that's how much money the government is taking in in uh, taxes. They're taking in about $3 trillion, 3 to 4 There's almost nothing left. That's the, those are the numbers. That's what it means. The U.S. is not going to fall because they're going to do what – they did in Greece during the Euro crisis. I was in Greece in 2010 with a bunch of school teachers. They got their paychecks. They were laughing. Their paycheck was reduced. I mean, their social security payment was reduced in half. And they were laughing. They said, we never should have had that much money. The government was just trying to win votes by increasing social security, increasing this. That's what the Democrats do. They get votes by increasing spending. And uh, so the U.S. public should be aware that they're going to reduce spending if, they don't, if you don't want the government to fall. That's my, that's my big message. The middle class pay for it. So what party would you call that if they're socially liberal and fiscally conservative? I suppose you could call that libertarian. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a libertarian member of the party. I'm not a member of the Republican Party. I'm still an old-fashioned San Francisco Democrat, but um, that's what it is. A classical liberal is kind of a libertarian, and that's they're liberal for social, political, and uh, conservative for money, 
fiscal policy. In France, the word liberal means conservative. If you're on the left, you're called left or you're called right. But the word liberal means classical liberal. It means the old-fashioned founding fathers, liberal. But we don't spend more than we've taken in. Oh, isn't that the truth? That's basic math right there. Yeah, basic math. (laughs) Basic math. (laughs) You place a high value on freedom, economic freedom, and political freedom. Would you say that society must incorporate a few universal values as well? Government has one purpose, at least from the point of view of the founding fathers, who I think got it correct. It's a neutral third party to protect life, liberty, and property. It's right out of our uh, Declaration of Independence. You can have the, mar- the market can do everything. The market can provide military protection. In Afghanistan, that was no, they, there was no government. I mean, we had private contractors and the Taliban themselves were like private contractors. They weren't part of the government, the Taliban. And they defeated us. The market can do everything. But we may not want the market to do everything. You want police protection to be neutral. The police do not protect only certain people. We don't want people walking around with private armies of samurai. Let's have a neutral third party. So we do want government. But the degree to which we regulate social or political or economic freedom is the degree to which we regulate the other two. You can't regulate one freedom. That's my big message in um, both income and wealth. One of my big messages in income and wealth and San Francisco conservative, maybe throughout all my books, you can't do it. In fact, it's perverse. Big corporations want to be regulated. Oh, please, 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 please don't regulate us. But they're joking. Because if you regulate a big corporation, it's very expensive to comply. Sarbanes, Oxley in 2002 and Dodd-Frank in um, 2010 or something like that. Big corporations pretend they don't want to be regulated. But they can afford it. Their long-run average costs are much lower than smaller corporations. The small corporations fold, and all you have left is a few monopolies running the whole country, exactly what the big corporations want. So we shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. And if you regulate, it's, you're forcing. You're forcing people to pay taxes. And who are you forcing? You're, it's the middle class, always. All those taxes are, are pushed forward, uh, they are thrown onto a corporation. They raise the price of whatever product, whatever good there's. And if they get really scared, they go abroad. I'm in California, and there's Apple is in the town of Cupertino. And it has what looks like a space station for a, a big office. And everyone thinks that's their headquarters. And in a way it is, but not really. Apple uh, is headquartered in Ireland because the tax rate is 15% compared to America at 25 and not and before Trump it was 39%. And all of Apple's money is on Jersey Island, a tax haven in the English Channel. Uh, that's just one example, but that's how it works. It's all an illusion. You can't tax, and if you tax, it's by force. 
It's very un-American all around. That's the classical argument. Well, you just blew my mind with that. And here I always <laughs> thought it was. And I had no idea. I knew that they had offices in Ireland, but I didn't realize it was that office. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, it's my probably goodness. some little back alley <laughs> in Skid Rows where Apple is actually really located. <laughs> next to a pub, right? <laughs> yeah, next to a pub, right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, and so we often hear about different political leaders, progressives that say that we should tax the rich. Is that something that having people who are more fluent in kind of contribute more with that, with that help? Or is that just a no start? It, it can't, it's a no start because it can't be done. That Congresswoman, I believe from New York, uh, or, Ortez, Cortez, Alexandra, something like that. Last year, at the opening of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, she wore a designer dress. I'm not sure where she got the money for that. And on the back of that dress was written in blood or pretend blood, uh, tax the rich. And it's a, that's a joke. You can't tax the rich. How are you going to get it? You're going to come to their house and just take it? That's what... Uh, Che Guevara in the Cuba did in 1959, you can't tax the rich. Just take it. Just take their property. And anybody who objects, I'll kill them. Che Guevara um, personally killed hundreds of people by putting a, a pistol to their temple. Turn over your property, your life savings, everything you've worked for, because we're going to spread it around to the whole country to be a little more fair. And they said no, and he just shot them. That's the only way you can get it. So stop talking that way. All the rich have to do is take their income-producing assets that maybe are showing huge income and borrow against them, put a huge loan on them, take all that money and put it in the tax haven in Switzerland or in the Cayman Islands or Jersey Island, and then you show zero income. The rich always show zero income. You can't get it. You can only take it from them and you might have to shoot them to get it. So stop talking that way. Uh, I think Jeff Bezos <clears throat> hasn't paid tax in 23 years. You know, not that the rich, it's not as if they pay zero. They pay something. But to be fair, everybody should pay at the same rate. In the Middle, in the middle Ages, the, the church, the Catholic church had what's called a, a tithe or tith. I'm not sure they pronounced that. Everybody paid 10%. They didn't ask you how your business did that year. They didn't ask you how much money you had. You pay 10% of the church, and the church will do some goodwill, and that's it. Fair is fair. Is fair. We all pay at the same rate. We don't just point to somebody, oh, you got an expensive suit. You're going to pay 15%. You can't, run a, you can't run a country that way. Some people arbitrarily saying some people are going to pay more. I think that would be difficult to manage, you know, to say, oh, we're going to have some people pay more and some, you know, than others. But that's what, that's called progressive taxation. That's what we have. Um, and a sales tax is regressive. Everybody, rich or poor, pays um, five, six, eight percent on every, any item they buy in, in states that have a sales tax. That's regressive, but that's fair in one sense. Everybody's paying the same. The clerk at a store doesn't say, well, what's your income? Are you, uh, we're going to charge you 15% sales tax. 
that's an impossibility and it's an intrusion of privacy. And if you enforce it, you're forcing it by force. And there you go. You're limiting social freedom, economic freedom. That's my message. <laughs> regulate one, you regulate all three. Mm. Well, I can understand why they say you're the author with 150 years of experience. You know, you know, it sounds like you just have this down and it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I literally have 150 years experience. Except those 150, all that four careers simultaneous, but not 40 hours a week in each career. That's impossible. But I, I uh, worked very smart. And I was able to get <clears throat> work 10 hours uh, a week in each career. And there's my 40 hours. But I, I taught inner city school for 40 years. No one can tell me about spending money on education. The schools I taught in were beautiful schools. They wanted to you know, compensate for maybe having neglected inner city schools. You couldn't have spent more on the schools I taught in unless you put gold on the door handles. They had bathrooms in every room. <laughs> It was, they spent so much money in those schools. And those schools were the lowest scoring schools in the city. Money, you can't solve problems with money. And that's what, that's the mistake Democrats make. And every time they think something goes wrong, we're not spending enough. And we doubled the spending from 1970 to 2000 for elementary secondary education act right there. Double the spending for public schools. And test scores dropped 25%. You can look at a graph, it's going up for money and going down for test scores. It's almost proof positive that money is not the solution. In fact, it's the cause. They spent so much money on education in this country, two or three times what they spend in Europe or in Asia, who score much higher than Americans, even on our SAT. Speaking English as a second language, they outscore Americans on, on SAT. That's why the American colleges are full of foreign students right now. You can't solve problems with money. If you're a student, you got to study. You don't have to have a gold-lined textbook. It can be leather-lined. You, you still just, have to it, do the work, right? <laughs> you just, you just, you're just looking for an excuse. Or, or, or politically running for office by saying, I'm going to spend more money than you. So vote for me. What would you say is some of the major difference between your two books, Income and Wealth and A San Francisco Conservative? What are the, the messages each book has to share? Well, Income and Wealth started off a little bit as a memoir, even like from my own kids. Dad, how did you make so much money? <laughs> and uh, But the theme was that income and wealth are two separate ideas. Your income is what you make from whatever salary you're getting or whatever commission you're getting or however you're earning money. And wealth is completely different. That's investment in assets. If, um, and I give a, almost an Excel sheet example for an employee at McDonald's at minimum wage, I say, here's exactly how you can become financially independent at that wage in 10 years. If you're a doctor, you do the same thing and you'll be financially independent at a much higher uh, level. 
you invest half of your gross salary in an, uh, with leverage in an income-producing asset. Just go buy the house next door. Every year for 10 years. Next year, buy the house next door. Next year, buy the corner grocery. Next year, buy a fleet of trucks. Some income-producing asset you feel comfortable with. I'm in San Francisco. There's no houses less than a million dollars. So do it with your spouse. Get a childhood friend. Buy a third of a house. No excuse. At the end of a 10 years, you'll be financially independent. That's, well, that's, that's theme number one of income and wealth, and that, there's, that the laws of money and economics are timeless, and you can't go around them. The rates of return are timeless. So you don't have to be sophisticated. You can be, do it very simply, the way I just said. And the other message of income and wealth is that, um, is like the, the San Francisco conservative message. Don't ask government to solve your personal problems. You can't. Stop spending money. Stop taxing. Let's reduce the tax rate down to 5 or 10%. This nation had zero income tax until 1913. Then it started with 1%, and the nation was furious. You can't do that. 1%? Who do you think you are? <laughs> now it's 4 or 50%. And it just costs just get passed on. We went the wrong direction, 1933 forward. They should reverse most of those laws. Not laws about civil rights. I'm a civil rights activist from the 60s myself. But they should reverse regulating people's lives and taxing people. And just reg regulate and stop the whole idea of try to solve problems through the... Try to stop solving economic problems through the political process. Stop running for office and saying, vote for me and I'll spend more money and I'll solve the problems. Money up, problems up. Not the other way. It doesn't go the other way. <laughs> Not the other way. The war on poverty. You got me talking now. The war on poverty, Lyndon Johnson said in 1964, it, during the Vietnam War, when we already have a deficit, it was unconscionable that a nation as rich as the U.S. would tolerate a 15% poverty rate. We're going to end this once and for all. We're going to call it the war on poverty. It's the needle, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, shows <clears throat> that poverty rate didn't budge. Poverty is 15%. Now, 15%. 10 years ago, 15% at the day Johnson declared the war on poverty. It moved, uh, on average, 15%. Some years, 13 Some years, 17 Today is a tiny bit lower because the economy is so hot. One little recession, it'll bounce the other way real quick. On average, it hasn't moved. The cost of the war on poverty, $23 trillion. Three times the cost of all wars America ever fought since the revolution. Oh, <laughs> wow. Through the World War II. And three times more and zero to show for it. Zero. You know, they have, they have a Head Start program. Let's get kids started when they're two years old. And 
Yes, those kids enter kindergarten and do a little better than they would otherwise. But the statistics are clear. By the time they reach the fourth grade, they're exactly at the same level as all the other fourth graders. It was a complete waste. Unless you value the life of a child between the the ages of kindergarten and third grade. Otherwise, by the fourth grade, they're all equal. Waste. The money for education, three times any other country, test scores are half- Europe and, uh, and Asia. You know, Silicon Valley, where I live nearby, I'm in San Francisco, the San Jose Mercury News said, and it says every year, 71% of Silicon Valley is foreign-born. They can't get Americans. We are so uneducated, so badly educated, I should say, they, that they... they Push Donald Trump when he was president to ease up on his immigration policy. We'll have no employees in Silicon Valley. And so he did. We're not hiring Americans. They are not prepared for science, for engineering, for math, for technology. They can't do the work. They can't program. We need foreign students. That's pathetic. The Navy just recently dropped their entrance exam to the fourth grade reading level. They couldn't get applicants to pass. That is the level that most American high school students graduate at, fourth grade. Do you think that we have enough time within our society to turn this around? Uh, Maybe not, because people need to hear what I'm saying and go, whoa, blows my mind. We better get our act together. But China is, is, and even Putin, they're laughing at us. Chinese students are going to school six days a week, 10 hours a day, <laughs> whatever it is. And they're working really hard. And uh, they don't care about freedom. All they care about is making money and being with their family. That's Chinese culture. So we, unless we get our act together, they're going to uh, dominate the economy. They're going to control the economy. They don't have to come here and personally, physically occupy the nation, but that wouldn't be difficult either. All they have to do is send a million troops over, stand at every intersection of, of every city and say, everybody stay in place, curfew for life. <laughs> Four guys with machine guns at the corner of every block. Easy. It's not going to happen, but I'm trying to scare the nation a little bit. Uh, we are, America's on the way out. Well, and I understand you have a new podcast that just started. Can you tell us a little about that? <laughs> I, uh, you go to David, um, I guess David Parker um, podcast or David Parker essays dot com, and I was doing it with a very good a publicist of mine who ended up being a very good host, and. Uh, he would just ask me a question. They were, they're 15, 10, 15 minute podcasts. They're not real long. And I would speak just like I'm speaking to you right now. What about this? What about that? He says, is there going to be a recession coming up? And I say, no, there won't. Because every economist is predicting it. Guarantee it won't happen. If every, every economist predicts it. Economists, are not, they're not people in business. They don't have their thumb on the pulse of the economy. I, mean, I do. I'm a very successful person in business. I feel it. They don't feel it. They don't know. Um, 
That's good news for the world. Go out and buy some property. Buy an office building. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us here today. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Well, thank you, David. It's been such an honor to spend this time with you and to talk about your two new books, Income and Wealth and A San Francisco Conservative. If you'd like to connect with David, you can on his website, davidparkeressays.com. Both books we talked about today are available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all indie retailers. And remember, support our indie bookstores. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask for them to order it. Please note the views and opinions expressed on the Moments with Marianne radio show on KMET 1490 AM and 98.1 FM and ABC Talk News Radio affiliate are those of the guest and do not reflect or represent the show, host, station, network, sponsors, or partners. References to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the show does not imply an endorsement of them, their books, products, or any entity they represent. In no event shall Marianne Pastana, Moments with Marianne Radio Show, KMET 1490 AM and 98.1 FM, and ABC Talk News Radio affiliate, be liable for any direct, indirect, incidental, special or punitive damages or lost profits arising out of or in any way connected with the use of our programs. The show is for entertainment purposes only. On that note, we're going to pause here for a quick break and we'll be right back after these messages. Are you chasing profitability yet losing fulfillment? Let me introduce you to your solution, The Relaunch Company. I'm Hillary DeCesar, an entrepreneurial performance coach, fearless leader of The Relaunch Company, here to help put the pedal to the metal and relaunch your business your way. Visit www.therelaunch.com. Take the free quiz to learn three steps towards waving goodbye to burnout and hello to success. The book Terminal Cancer is a Misdiagnosis, authored by Danny Carroll, is on sale at Amazon now. Licensed psychologist and psychotherapist Tessa Antia John Guerra commented, This is one of the most empowering books on a topic of cancer you will ever read. Award-winning author T.L. Needham commented, This recommended book can be understood by anyone seeking answers, hope, and alternatives to a terminal diagnosis. Buy it now on Amazon.com. Are you feeling disconnected from your life and your body as a woman? Do you feel numb emotionally and or sexually and just not sure how to feel really alive again or maybe for the first time? Are you struggling with body and self-acceptance, especially during menopause? If you'd like to reclaim your feminine and learn more about women and gynecology and how it can help empower your life, contact Gina Cloud at www.ginacloud.com. Internationally recognized and award-winning author Judy Goodman works and teaches outside the box of limited thinking. Working with people from every walk of life, her goal is to empower you to be the best you can be, no matter what the challenge is. Born with the gift of seeing beyond our normal vision, she has an extraordinary gift of working with every challenge. Teaching beyond conventional wisdom, her work is described as life-changing. 
visit judygoodman.com. That's judygoodman.com. I'd like to thank Jason Eastwood at Guitarfulness for sharing his inspiring music and talent with us. His music is known worldwide for cultivating atmospheres of harmony, inner peace, and clarity. Visit Jason's website at guitarfulness.com. Join his newsletter, be part of his community, and download his music. Well, we're at the end of our time today. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to Moments with Marianne, where we make every moment count. In a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work, and while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guest and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information.